everybody. I'm Daniel. And I'm Frankie. And this is Propagated Podcast. Yay! Welcome. Frankie, how has your past two weeks been since we took a break on recording last week? It has been good. It has been great. It has been a lot of little seedlings. I got my lettuce seedlings in the ground and I have little bok choy spouts right now. And um, yesterday I went down a whole rabbit hole about bees since we last talked. And I found this um, person on TikTok. Their name is um, Texas Bee Works. And they do all these videos of bee rescues. And I like learned everything there is to know about bees last night. And I was like get, becoming the expert on spotting the queen and everything. And I'm like, all right, I'm ready to have a hive now. Let's do it. <laughs> That's pretty fucking awesome. We all so know much. and love bees a lot. Sponsored by bees. The whole world, actually. How are you? What have you been up to? Not a lot, really. I have been working a little bit. which is new to me for over a year now. (laughs) Um, So that's been interesting. I've been working two days a week. So that's been an adjustment. And then I found out that in early April, I'll be going back to work full time. So that's pretty fun. Other than that, I've really kind of just been kicking it, trying to, I guess, soak up the last little bits of my, uh, what felt like a permanent vacation. Yeah. Are you happy the weather's getting warmer? It is such a drastic difference in my ability to do everything and anything when (laughs) it gets above 65 degrees outside. So yes, I am quite stoked that the weather is much nicer than it has been. You're just a tropical houseplant. Truly, though. I mean, I am too, though. I'm like, just put me out in the sun and spritz me. (laughs) High humidity, sunlight, and water. And, and your boy's good. Good yeah. after that. That's all I really need. Yeah. I feel like my fertilizer is chocolate chips, too. You know, I'm not <laughs> mad at that. I feel like my fertilizer <laughs> might be tequila, but that's a whole different health topic <laughs> we can talk about some other day. <sighs> I love it. Oh, do you have an article for me today? Yes. Um. So... I thought it was pretty interesting. I just found it today. It is pretty recent. It came out March 4th, so only a couple weeks old. Breaking Um, news. Boop, 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 boop. And it's by Aaron Garcia de... I'm going to assume it's Jesus and not Jesus, but I'm not positive. And it's in science news. So we all know about catnip, right? Mm. It's a great thing. Cats lose their fucking mind for it. Mm. And it's like a commonly accepted... Not, I guess remedy might not be the word, but a repellent for insects. Mm-hmm. And it looks like scientists have finally made some headway in explaining why it repels Ooh. insects, which I think is kind of cool. So we've, like I said, it's been common for years for people to uh, use catnip as an insect repellent. We know that most insects don't eat it. So like you're not, that's why catnip is always cute in your garden because you don't have stuff just decimating it if you have bugs. <laughs> but apparently in catnip, there is an active component that triggers a chemical receptor in insects that spurs sensation similar to if we were to have pain or an itch for Whoa. them. Huh. And so the sensor is dubbed TRPA1, 
and it's very common in animals from flatworms to people and responds to environmental irritants such as cold, heat, wasabi, and tear gas, which oh. I thought the fact that tear gas was in there was a little bit... <laughs> it's like an extreme, like, extreme swing there. But, um, <laughs> wasabi and tear gas. <laughs> but when the irritants come in contact with TRPA1, which is the sensor, uh, it can make people cough or it, it'll cause an insect to run away. Hmm. So if you are having problems with mosquitoes or fruit flies, mm. that's what the study was done on, were mosquitoes and fruit flies, and it is now proven and peer-reviewed by scientists that that they are actually averse to catnip. So catnip's a cool thing to have around. Um, yeah. If you want to know the science side of it, the active component that causes it to trigger the receptor is called nepatolactone. Again, as is true of every single fucking episode, I'm sure I butchered that. If you are a scientist, <laughs> biologist, whatever, chemist, and you actually know how to say that, and I butchered it, I'm very sorry that you had to listen to that. But yeah, that's kind of it. It doesn't go, like, without going, like, crazy deep into the science, it doesn't go too much further down into that. They're saying that hopefully they'll be able to extract an oil from the plant. And use it as a more natural way to have, like, mosquito repellent. Oh, or... that would be great. I feel like all natural mosquito repellents are just terrible. Yeah, they, they never work. work. They don't do anything. Yeah. Mosquitoes are like, ha that's funny. How about <laughs> that's I buy cute. you five that's times instead of two now? <laughs> you missed a spot. <laughs> <laughs> they're saying that now their next goal is going to be to do more research into why cats... Uh, trigger their pleasure center when around catnip because we still don't know a whole lot about the feline nervous system. Yeah, but cool. They haven't done that yet, but I thought it was a really cool, cool little article. Not a whole lot, but enough to like be, be worth talking about. Totally. Yeah, I'm gonna have to plant some catnip. My brother, <laughs> he has two cats, and he used to get them catnip bubbles, which was just the cutest and funniest thing ever because like they'd pop it with their little nose. <laughs> it's like a, it's like an actual bubble. Yeah, like bubble solution, and then you like blow them, and then the cats chase it, and then pop it with their little noses. I want to do that. That's yeah. fun. That sounds like a great time, honestly. Yeah. I guess I'm going first today, huh? Um, I do believe it is your turn. Okay. So I went deeper down the rabbit hole of sugarcane for this week. I really wanted to continue and talk about rum. Rum. Rum, 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 rum. It's probably my least favorite liquor, honestly. But really? Hmm. when I'm on the beach, when I'm on the beach, rum yeah. is like mm-hmm. prime. Give me yeah. like a good Mai Tai or something. But other than that, I'm usually not, not a big rum drinker. What about you? Yeah, not really. I don't really like sweet drinks that much. Same. I, I like to taste more. the booze, not not the juice. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I've noticed because I'm on week six of no alcohol that like the only thing I'm missing is that like bitter which is easily cured with um, ginger beer, surprisingly. Ginger beer is, like, primo. Ooh, some nice spicy ginger beer. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So good. So Mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we're lucky because we have ginger beer breweries around here. So We have ginger beer breweries that brew alcoholic ginger beer that will get you tanked. (laughs) You want to know what tastes really good? What? Making... A whiskey ginger with alcoholic ginger beer. Oh, that sounds Which so is good. obviously going to wreck you, but <laughs> totally worth it. Totally worth it. Whiskey ginger is actually my favorite uh, simple well cocktail. Would you call yeah, it a cocktail? Great. What would thing. you call it? 
Uh, it's just a mixed drink. Mixed drink. I, according to most mixologists, <laughs> you for, to like justify calling something a cocktail, it has to have three separate ingredients. Oh, that makes sense. Okay, all right. Minimum. Great. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about some cocktails here. Some some rum cocktails. First, before I start, I do want to make a couple corrections because as I was listening to the last episode, I realized there were a few times that I said America when I meant the United States, and there was a few times I said just like I just mixed the two up a couple times. So hopefully you could glean what I meant, and I apologize. I also wanted to shout out. I forgot to cite my sources, and this article really helped with a lot of the timeline, and it was just a really fun read, so if you want to learn more, it's called The Illustrated History of How Sugar Conquered the World, and it's on, how do you say this, Savour, S-A-V-E-U-R, it's French, Savour, Savour, anyways. I I think maybe don't do that. Don't do that. Okay, so... (laughs) I don't know how to say it, but it's S-A-V-E-U-R, and the author was Christy Mucci, and it was from January of 2017, so check that out. All right, so we are going to start talking a little bit more about sugarcane, saccharum officinarum, saccharum officinarum. I don't, you know, you know how good we are at pronouncing Latin names in this show. <laughs> I like how we don't, we don't even like really try to do that much better. We just Every continue time. to butcher it and just are like, sorry, we're just going to, we're just going to butcher this and you all have to uh, accept I, I like look it up and I listen to it and then I forget and then I like go in with confidence and I'm like, this sounds wrong, like in the middle of the word and then I chicken out and then I say it eight times, you know, it's just a whole process. Yeah, it's, you know... <laughs> I promise that we do actually kind of try yeah. to say them right, but fucking Latin is a dead language, and nobody actually knows if we're saying it right or wrong. So I'm just gonna <laughs> that that's that's the hill I'm gonna die on. And we have asked professionals, and that's what they've said too. So <laughs> we're just gonna go with it. <laughs> we're like, how do you say this? It's like, well, you could say it this way or this way, but no one really knows. <laughs> All right, I'll take it. All right, you know, maybe I was never wrong. Maybe I'm actually speaking the closest to true Latin. Saccharium we'll officinarum. <laughs> Nailed it. Oh, anyway, it's perfect. Thank you so much. I know I am. <laughs> Okay, so sugarcane. Sugarcane was used as building materials in New Guinea as early as 6000 BC. And a lot of the thought of why it was used so much was because it's super easy to propagate. Basically, you just cut it, keep it damp, and plant it, and you have a whole new plant. Mm -hmm. We love good propagation on this show, obviously. Imagine that. (laughs) Yeah, once it made it into the New World, like we talked about last week, it became rum and... Just sugar cane plantations were just awful conditions. Blistering heat. These leaves would just cut into skin. They're sharp as blades, but you had to do it by hand with these enormous knives. You'd press it in mills and boil it in hot kettles. And I learned that there was also dangerous vermin, like snakes and rodents, all over the plantations. So that's fun. (laughs) Well, if it wasn't already bad fuck enough. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, exhausting backbreaking labor, which led to the enslavement of a bunch of human beings, which terrible, awful, horrible history. If you want to learn more, listen to our last episode. <laughs> right. I can attest to the leaves being like blades, though. My grandpa used to make molasses every year. Mm. And it was like a community thing, like with the whole the whole family would come over and would make like big batches, like like 
hundreds of quarts of molasses would get canned. Cool. That's made from sugarcane as well. So he would grow like this giant field of sugarcane and you could walk through and like you touch it the wrong way and it's like the worst style of paper cut you ever get. Oh God. I hate it's that. It's horrible. Oh, I hate paper cuts. Oh, it makes me want to cry. Oh, but yeah, we talked about the British abolitionists a little bit. And the problem there was like, yeah, they gave up sugar in their tea, but nobody refused rum. Everyone was still drinking rum. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll give up my sugar, <laughs> but don't fucking touch my alcohol, okay? That's like people modern day complaining that I don't know if I can handle chocolate prices going up now that Nestle is going to have to report oh, all God. of their child labor. It's like, um. Um. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm pretty sure that, like, without trying to be a real Debbie Downer here, I can pay a little bit more for my chocolate if there aren't literal child slaves collecting and processing it for me. I'm, yeah. If you can't afford that, then just don't fucking get chocolate. Sorry. Anyways, um, yeah, a lot of this research comes from one of my favorite books I've talked about a bunch of times, The Drunken Botanist by Amy Stewart. It's incredible. You should definitely buy it. It's so beautifully illustrated and so much fun facts. Okay, so I learned that there was a solution to this vermin that's actually still used today. What a lot of people do in these sugarcane plantations is they'll set fire to the plantation before harvest, and it basically drives, drives all the vermin out and clears out all that paper-cutty vegetation. Huh. Yeah. Okay. I guess that makes sense. I love I want to learn more about controlled burns. I feel like they're just so cool. They're cool and they're very important. Yeah. Most uh, Native Americans were definitely doing controlled burns. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's why fires today are so bad when they do happen, forest fires, because there aren't anybody, there aren't people doing controlled burns yeah, anymore. Yeah, taking care of the land. And so there's just so much fuel for the fire when it finally happens. That is obviously going to consume the whole fucking mountain, you know? It's really sad. Even just in my front yard, I've been clearing out this ivy because it's killing all the trees. But it's like, it literally no one has touched this vegetation in probably 20, 30 years. Like, it is so mm -hmm. thick. I found, like, rotting shoes. I found a hummingbird feeder. Like, all kinds of weird stuff just, like, in the vegetation. Man, an ivy will yeah. quick quick light cover all that shit up yeah. too yeah anyways back to sugarcane so how you propagate sugarcane it's really cool the cane itself is segmented into joints that are separated by nodes and each node holds root primordia which is basically tissue that can turn into roots in the right circumstances like plant stem cells totally yeah and so it has this these roots and then it also has this single bud that's ready to grow into a stem so a single joint within an intact node, if you put it underground, it unfurls something called set roots, S-E-T-T, -T, which give it temporary nutrition, and then it sets down more permanent shoot roots. And then once these roots are grown, the bud unfurls and becomes a whole new cane stalk. What the fuck? That's really cool. I didn't realize it was that simple. Yeah, we should try it. Do you, does your grandpa still grow sugar cane? No, my grandpa's been dead for a lot of years. Oh, that farm sorry. is like, that's fine. But no, I don't even know where he got the sugar came from. Honestly, I was so little when they were still doing that. It's a pretty plant, though. Yeah. I would grow a little patch. It's not hard to make the molasses. You just have to press. Mm. could probably make a couple quarts of molasses ourselves. You just have to, like, press and then cook over, like, low heat. 
if you ever come out to my grandparents, I can show you where we did it. There's like a whole, it's like a dugout fire pit in the ground. And there was a machine that would press, like you fed the cane through, uh, it was like a, my grandpa built, he took a motor out of a tractor and found a way to like attach a press to it. And then it would, you'd feed the cane through the press. So it'd press all the juices out. The juices would go through a series of like different grades of cheesecloth. So uh-huh. it'd like catch any of the gunk until it was a pretty pure yeah like pulp free process and it would run about probably 200 feet through a pipe down to the fire pit huh. it was all gravity fed and then it would pour into there and there would be somebody that you have to like stir constantly and keep the fire at the right temperature and you just go back and forth there's like old tools that my grandpa carved himself out of wood oh how cool i'd love to you see like this go back and forth and keep it from burning on the bottom but you want it to burn just a little bit that's part of what gives molasses that like super sweet rich kind of flavor yeah yeah but um yeah i remember that was like some of my favorite childhood times at that house because it would be like your entire extended family. So it's like all the cousins. Oh, that's so fun. Like great uncles and aunts and stuff would be there and it'd be a whole big family thing. I love that. Yeah, I would love to see that. That's so cool. So sugarcane has concentric layers, kind of like a tree. It has a waxy outside and a soft spongy inside that is used to transport water up and then carry sugar down. So basically each joint rep... um, Each joint ripens separately, so the one closest to the ground matures the fastest and holds the most sucralose, and then it continues to go up the cane as time goes on. So it's like the storage starts at the bottom and goes up. So after sugarcane is cut, it is highly perishable, but some places make sugarcane juice, which is basically the juice of the sugarcane fermented and distilled. So in the French Caribbean, that is called rum agricole, in Brazil, it's called chacasa. The sugarcane residue that is left after pressing is called bagasse, and it's used for fuel, it's used for livestock feed, it's used as building materials, and really cool, it's used as compostable packaging. Ooh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Isn't that kind of fun? Oh, cool. I feel like I felt it before. Like, when I read that, I had this image in my mind of, like, getting this compostable packaging and that, like, weird texture that it has sometimes. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, if that wasn't just really fucking informative. <laughs> just full of fun facts. <laughs> so rum itself is distilled molasses, and it has a longer shelf life. And to make rum molasses, as we – you kind of talked about molasses a little bit earlier, but the leftover sugar residue from the sugar refining process, which is the molasses, is fermented with water and yeast to make – it's a wash of like five to nine percent alcohol and then it's distilled and since molasses is already five percent sugar and the sugar is what's necessary for making fermentation the rum itself retains more original raw material flavor than almost any spirit huh okay i mean that makes sense yeah when you sit when you like put it in that term i just there's another thing i didn't know yeah i never thought about it like like next time I drink rum, I'm gonna have to think like, oh, this tastes like sugarcane, and see if I like it more. <laughs> well, I don't. So here's my bit. It's something that I also never really thought about, really, because I've just never been a big fan of rum. 
But when you start getting into like, like if you go to a rum bar and you get something beyond just like a Captain Morgan mm-hmm. or a fucking Bacardi or whatever, you know, and you get into some nicer rums, it's an entirely different world, yeah, really. Totally. And the flavors are much more nuanced and way more complex and awesome. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of expensive, honestly, but it's a world that I haven't delved deeply enough into to know much about, but there are some cool rums out there. Definitely. I feel like that's with most spirits though. I feel like you're like expensiver, expensiver. (laughs) (laughs) I'm real fancy. (laughs) Your more expensive spirits are usually like a lot more complex and better to sip on than like, you know, drinking in a mixed drink per se. Uh, yeah. So on plantations, rum started out as a cheap drink for workers. And the first colonists in New England imported molasses for rum as an act of desperation that actually turned into an act of defiance. The Molasses Act of 1733 was an attempt by the British to force co- the colonies to buy British instead of French molasses. Okay. And it actually kindled the American Revolution. <laughs> what? Yeah, so John Adams in 1818 wrote, I know not why we should blush to confess that molasses was an essential ingredient in American independence. Many great events have proceeded from much smaller causes. Wow. Yeah, Um, fun, huh? (laughs) What? That's still kind of fucking me up, but cool. Cool. I mean, into it. Yeah. Wild, though. Yeah. I mean, you got to assume that alcohol is at the kindling of a lot of revolutions <laughs> i mean that's very fair that's very fair <laughs> okay so currently as of 2019 there are 913,000 acres of sugarcane in america across florida louisiana texas and hawaii hmm. okay rum itself is made in the tropics because of history but also a lot because of the climate So basically, alcohol in wood mellows, and in the tropics, this happens much faster. So a barrel of rum loses 7 to 8% alcohol per year. So what a barrel of rum would do for 12 years in Scotland only takes a few years in Cuba. So it's kind of cool that it just, like, gets this nice, mellow, woody flavor a lot faster and loses a lot less alcohol. So So much more quickly. Yeah. Wow, cool. Rum is one of the least classified spirits. There are not a whole lot of rules and regulations because it's really hard to classify. Basically, every color, every kind of way you want to classify it, there's just such nuance and variation between all of them. But one of the most common, but extremely flawed, but common ways to separate them is by color, which is flawed because, you know, every color has different profiles and aging, filtering, all right. kinds of different things. But so it's an interesting that that's an interesting way to think, honestly. Mm-hmm. The basics of the color separation is that all rum starts clear and colorless and unaged, and then it's aged in steel tanks or filtered after aging to remove any color it might have picked up in the process. And in general, colorless rum is on the sweeter and less bold side. Gold and amber rum is usually aged in oak. It's mostly medium bodied. And it has a more pronounced flavor than the light rum. And the color in golden amber is because it's aged in a barrel or sometimes they add caramel to it. Okay. And then dark rum 
which is usually brown, red, or black, is aged in charred oak barrels and usually colored and flavored with things like caramel or extra molasses. And finally, spiced rum is a golden rum with spices added from anything from cinnamon and nutmeg and clove to rosemary and ginger and pepper even. And they usually add some coloring, which is caramel or molasses generally. I want pepper rum. That sounds good. Doesn't it sound good? Mm. I love a good peppery drink, though. Yeah, we were just talking about the spicy. Let's get some Mm -hmm. spicy rum. (laughs) Uh, That's like my favorite thing, finding like a good tequila that has that nice like peppery finish. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And then you put that into a Bloody Maria. Yeah, I love that. I will end on a really cool story that I thought like... It was told a few different ways at a few different places, but I'm going to tell you the story that I read in Drunken Botanist because it's super dope. We're going to talk about proof and Navy strength. So in the 1500s, sailors in the British Navy had beer rations. It kept them happy and water spoils quickly at sea without alcohol. But eventually they were like, ugh, even the beer is going bad. So rum became the ration of choice. They realized pretty quickly, if you give a sailor a whole pint of rum, they're just going to drink it all and ignore their duties. (laughs) So they started watering down the rum and mixing it with lime juice and sugar, which this early daiquiri was used to also combat scurvy. Pretty cool, huh? (laughs) Yeah, I'm like waiting. I feel like there's there's an and coming. There is an and. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. (laughs) So sailors... They obviously don't want to be cheated. They're like, what the fuck? You're watering down my rations. Yeah, the fuck. (laughs) Yeah. So to make sure that they weren't being cheated, there was this test where basically they used gunpowder on the rum. And if they lit it and it lit on fire, they could prove that it was enough rum. And this proof was 57% alcohol. It needed 57% alcohol to catch fire. Yeah, I was about to say, that's like, you have to be well over 100 proof for it to light. So guess what? That's how proof came to be, because they were proving the percentage of alcohol. So fucking absurd, and I love it. I know, right? In Britain, it's still the standard. 100 proof is is 57% alcohol, whereas in the U.S., we made it easier and made it 50%. But, yeah. That... It is amazing. Isn't and that such I did a fun not story? Know that. that is a great story, and I love that I now know that information. Yeah, so that's it. But I did have a question I wrote down in my notes for you. What is the difference between ABV and proof? Um, alcohol, ABV is alcohol by volume, so there's not really a difference. Mm. Um, but when, so like, say you're looking at a bottle of whiskey, most of your standard whiskeys are going to sit around 40% ABV, which is means that by volume it's 40% alcohol. Mm. If you if something is a forty percent ABV, then the proof is going to be eighty because gotcha. it's essentially okay. just double. So it's just a different way of saying the same thing. Essentially, so like yeah. if you're drinking Rumplemints, that's a hundred proof, which means it's fifty percent alcohol. Okay, okay, makes sense. A little bit of math there. Don't like that, but... <laughs> I mean, realistically, that's about the only math I'm okay with because it directly involves having fun with alcohol and it's only you just have to divide it by two. It's like not 
Yeah. That's not, that's like not my hated math. Now ask yeah. me to add 18 and 23 and I'm going to be pissed at you. <laughs> Tell me to cut something in half. I got you. Yeah. If we were on the 57% proof, I would be unhappy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. That's rum. Yay. Yay. That was fun. I love that. Yeah. I am still baffled and excited that I know a new alcohol story. Yeah. Proving. That's so, proving that's so rum. With gunpowder. Like, how cool. Goddamn sailors. That would be. That would be. Be the way. You know, yeah. I'm going to do the most dangerous thing I can. <laughs> we'll I just want light this, it on fire. This better it's fucking fine. catch on fire. <laughs> if this doesn't catch on fire, then you're fucked. <laughs> then there's a mutiny aboard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Great time. Great time. I love that. Sweet. Well, I guess it w- would make it my turn, wouldn't it? Do um, it. on the last episode, you spent a lot of time talking about sugar. Mm-hmm. I took some time to talk about honey. Um, I just wanted to take a moment, and I'm not going to be too long-winded about it, to talk about some other plant-based alternatives to sugar. Um, because sugar has always been and will probably forever be a little bit problematic. Yeah. So, yeah, let's talk about some alternatives, uh, where they come from, and... Just some general stuff about them. Yay! So, I'm going to start with one of the things that most people probably have in their pantry already. um, And that is some kind of tree syrup. Mm. So, trees are obviously just dope in all sorts of ways. But um, giving us an alternative to cane sugar is definitely one of those ways. And most people are going to know just your good old-fashioned maple syrup. And I like to make sure that people know, because I didn't really know until later in my life, really, that when you go to the store and you get table syrup, that's not necessarily maple syrup at all. And it's usually actually just cooked down cane sugar. (laughs) So it's like, Hmm. so it's like, dark and rich in flavor and it has flavor additives to make it taste a little bit like maple syrup but if it doesn't say 100% maple syrup on it on the bottle it's not Mm. maple syrup it's just syrup and they have a lot of chemicals and preservatives in it as opposed to actual maple syrup just so you know because I felt really stupid when somebody told me that and I was like I've not been buying real maple syrup this whole time and I am a I'm a dummy well now we know (laughs) But tree syrups are essentially produced by tapping a tree during its sapping season and then capturing those juices. One of my favorite words, maybe we've, maybe I've said this before, but one of my favorite words in the entire world is spile. I love that word. The thing that, that you tap word. into a tree. Spile. Mm-hmm. Spile. <laughs> anyway. Sorry. Sounds conspiri- like conspiratorial. Oh, yeah. On, like it's like... We're going to get together and have a spile. Right? That's that's like what that's what my brain. Or I'll meet you in the spile. Goes with it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the um, tallest tower in a castle. It's like the spile. Yeah, it's not it's not the spire anymore. It's the spile. No, it's the spile. <laughs> but once you've harvested the sap, essentially what they do is boil it down and thicken it to the consistency of your common table syrups. And you can even find maple sugar granules. If you prefer, uh, instead of having it in syrup form, and that's another good way to like take sugar, like cane sugar out of your diet. What I think is kind of cool and isn't talked about all that often is how many trees can be tapped. 
for Sierra that I didn't really think about. Um, and each of them kind of have apparently a different flavor profile. And this is something I kind of really want to look into because hmm. I think it could be a fun thing to do. Yeah. And obviously the differences are going to be subtle and it's not necessarily the species of tree that you're going for that's going to determine the final flavor, but a lot of it's going to be like your seasonal and local factors, like where it's at, how much water it got, blah, 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 blah. But there's so many different types of maple tree that you can tap. They include sugar maples, black maples, red maples, silver maples, Norway maples, box elders, big leaves, big tooths, and Rocky Mountain maples are all fr frequently tapped for syrup, for maple syrup, which is kind of cool. And apparently they're all each a little bit different depending on the region that they're in. Cool. But outside of maples, you can also make birch syrup, alder tree syrup, walnut syrup, and sycamore syrup. All of which grow around here and I would like to tap them and see what that world is about, honestly, because that sounds like fun. Yeah. Outside of syrups, one of the things, another one that I think is pretty cool are dates dates come from the date palm tree which is apparently from the persian gulf originally hmm. and they were apparently pretty abundant between the nile and euphrates and in the middle east and parts of europe so dates have always kind of been like a natural way to get away from cane sugar mm -hmm. and while date sugar is very similar to brown sugar it's actually totally different because it's not crystallized syrup hmm. it's actually ground and dehydrated dates so you're just using the fruit there's no real processing other than dehydrating it the drawback of that is that you can't really dissolve it into like a liquid mm, yeah. so it's really only applicable to like baked goods or like smoothies or stuff like that you can't really you can't like make a sweet tea with dates you know it doesn't doesn't work that yeah. way dates are so yummy Mm, they are so good. Dates. I'd love a good date. Mm -hmm. But it also is like a really good alternative for brown sugar. Like if you're going to do a meat rub or something, mm. try putting some dates in there instead of brown sugar and see what happens because that, that sounds, sounds really fucking tasty. Delicious. Yeah. Um, Another, which is probably a little bit more common than either of the two, is coconut and coconut sugar. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people think that coconut sugar comes from coconuts but that's actually not true coconut sugar comes from the sap of a coconut palm tree mm. so it's similar to like maple syrup because harvesters tap the coconut palm sap and then mix it with water and boil it into a syrup and then dry it and crystallize it similar to the other ones but it's like a nice plant-based way to get away from regular sugar too mm -hmm. another option is agave syrup Mm, and I know that we've talked about agave several times on the show, but I'm going to talk about it a one little bit more favorites. because it's one of my favorites for sure. <laughs> yeah. Human, They found human remains as, as far back as 10,000 years showing agave being used for food and fiber. Um, and it's been a big part of human culture since forever, really. Yeah. But in a more modern sense they've started using agave and agave syrup as a natural sweetener to get away from cane sugar again 
The issue with agave is that you also run into what we've talked about before with agave is the monoculture yeah. nature of agave growth not being ideal <laughs> for sure. Capitalism plus plants equals un- unstable yeah. DNA. <laughs> non, yeah, unstable DNA, super unsustainable. Yeah. One of the things that I want to talk about also is stevia. Mm, yeah, I want to know about that. And Frankie made a mention in the last episode about stevia. And I think that a lot of the hype behind Stevia is unjustified because what you see on the shelf of the grocery store is typically not Stevia anymore. It's a very yeah. like processed idea of what Stevia could be. Mm. But Stevia is actually a pretty good alternative to cane sugar if you grow Stevia yourself. So real stevia leaf contains zero calories and is made and is just a totally pure from the plant. And it's two to three hundred times sweeter than sugar. So pure. So stevia is technically native to South America. And like I said, when you're buying stevia supplements in the store, most of them have been had many chemicals added. There are bunches of bleaching agents in them. Lots of major brands like Trubia and like aren't real stevia at all they're just a processed host of chemicals fillers and additives with a flavoring agent that makes it seem like stevia but it's not natural at all but if you get real stevia first of all a lot of people don't like it because it has a very kind of potent herbal flavor oh it's it's a great sweetener but you have to be okay with it having an herbal flavor to it So if you want to find some stevia and try and get it, just make sure that you do your homework, do your research, and get pure stevia and see if it's for you. Some people hate it because it has, a, like I said, that that kind of more natural herbal flavor, which is going to change the flavor of whatever you're putting it into. But it's a – if you get real stevia, it's apparently one of the best alternatives and is a great sweetener. You just have to do it right. I wonder if it's easy to grow. I'll have to look into that. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't look too much into like actual keeping the actual keeping of stevia yourself, but I know you can buy the plants. I've seen them before. Hmm. And then the last one that I'm going to talk about, I'm just going to kind of breeze over, would be sugar alcohols, which are technically considered natural by the FDA, but we all know FDA regulations can sometimes be a little muddy. Yeah. But some examples of that would be like xylitol and erythritol, which I know sound the totally (laughs) opposite of anything natural. Um, Uh, It sounds like like a medicine commercial. Contain xylitol. I have erythritol. Right. Um, Or maybe, oh, uh, no, no, it's like fantasy swords. This is my sword. sword, Xylitol. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, sorry, my nerd is showing. Go on. No, I love that. But they, they are an option. I would say that realistically, I don't know that I would label them as natural, but I added it to the list just because according to the FDA, it is considered natural because it is a sugar alcohol made from a plant. Hmm. So it's just distilled down from a plant, which is typically corn. Hmm. But yeah, those are some of your options for sugar alternatives. Yeah. Sugar, yay. (laughs) Hey, if anyone listening to this has grown any stevia or anything like that please let us know we'd love to hear about it or see your gardens a lot of people have been sending pictures of their gardens and their sprouts on like twitter and it's been making me very happy so thank you for that (laughs) we love 
love love some listener interaction yeah it's our favorite part well we have a lot i have a lot of favorite parts personally but i love talking with you all frankie does do most of the talking with you all but i get to read all of it and it makes me happy i'm very online (laughs) (laughs) frankie's big on the internet if you didn't know so you know if you want to find us on the internet and chat with us the best way to do that is probably through our website yeah you can find us at propagatedpodcast.com once you get there, you're going to find a link to every other outlet of ways to connect with us. It's going to give you our email. It's going to give you a link to our Instagram and Twitter. And mm-hmm. it's also going to give you the option to buy a really beautiful hand-printed shirt from Frankie if you so desire. I also, may or may not be working on some new merch, just throwing it out there and some Patreon-exclusive stuff. So I love that. We do have a Patreon, which you can also find on the website. We are still a baby podcast and appreciate any help we can get. Uh, Mm -hmm. It just means that we have more time to create more content for everyone. So if you feel so inclined, that would be beautiful. And you get to be one of our plant zaddies. Yeah, we love our plant zaddies, but we know times are tough. So if you want a free way to support the show, you can leave us a review. Or, you know, if you are listening on a thing that doesn't take reviews, you can tweet about us. You can Instagram about us. You can tell a friend about us. We would so appreciate it because we love you and it helps us so much. Yeah, word of mouth is always going to be one of the most powerful ways to spread something. So COVID, podcasts, it's not <laughs> word, of, <laughs> word of mouth, <laughs> spittle of mouth. No, anyway, that's gross. <laughs> where, were you about, where were you going with that, Frankie? Well, because... I, I don't know. I just had this like image of someone in their head, like shouting out podcast, like, no, it's not going. I'm... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. But thank you so much for listening to us today. We loved hanging out with you and talking plants. Thanks guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.